0: Okay, part three. There's a photo that I remember seeing a number of years ago when I was in Israel. It was one of those years typically where not much rain had fallen and there was a gathering at the Kotel to Daven for rain. It was a beautiful day, the sun was blue, the you know, sun was out and a couple of people brought umbrellas which the media tried to show like how ridiculous they brought an umbrella to a prayer gathering for rain. Well, clearly, everyone should have brought an umbrella to a prayer gathering for rain, because if it was the winter and you needed the rain immediately, you weren't saying, God, let it rain in two months. You wanted it now. Surely, those that had faith in the power or the efficacy of prayer would have meant that the rain would have fallen almost immediately or very shortly afterwards, and bringing an umbrella or a raincoat was not something foolish, but something that expressed a lot of faith. At the end of Mincha this afternoon, I turned my eyes, Heavenward. I said, Hashem, let this be a successful event. Let people come away from this evening inspired, motivated. Let them gain something from having come out of their homes. And then my mind sort of went on a little drift. And then I'm thinking to myself, why is the warm up guy going last? Like, you've had the main course, you've had the dessert. Why are you having the, the hors d'oeuvre at the beginning? And then it occurred to me that what, like Providence had ordained things very, very cleverly. Obviously, it's Providence, it's God. Obviously, it's clever but having a whole evening about tefillah. So God makes me go last. So there's someone sitting there for the last 45 minutes, davening his heart out, that what he has prepared, no one else would have said. So I was like the symbol of what everybody was saying. Thankfully, only a couple of ideas, bizarrely, um, of what I had prepared, which shows that there's clearly truth, obviously in everything, but in the things that were said um, by the previous speaker. So there's plenty to say, but it occurred that... uh, that was my role for the first part of the evening. So what I want to start off with asking the question is when we talk about, you know, typical Jewish education introduces the character of Hashem as a character in the Torah stories. There's a story that I'm sure I've shared with you before. When we, Emily and I started off the community in Shenley, just outside Borenwood about 20 years ago. Now it's, it's grown. When it started off, we went there, they, they had a plan to every once every month to have a service, and we went there every two weeks, and we got it we got it moving. And one guy told me that he used to come to Shul in the morning, and then he went shopping in the afternoon, and that when his kid had learned the song, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere, and Hashem was in Tesco's Shabbos afternoon. The guy stopped, he left his trolley and he went home because he could, you know, if God's in Shul, I can understand. But if God's also in the supermarket with me Shabbos afternoon I shouldn't really be there, that was more awkward. But I thought how beautiful that this person actually achieved something that typically typical yeshiva guys don't really achieve, maybe until they're very old in life, that had recognized that God as a character is real. And that's the big, when it comes to davening, how much do we realize that Hashem is real? We don't often, in Jewish education, what I've been exposed to and what I expose others to, is we don't. Spend time philosophizing, discussing what we mean by Hashem, what, what it means, what are proofs for, for teenagers who begin getting cynical and doubt, is it real? You know, God's a song, God's a character. And for me, the starting point of davening is recognize that you're really having a conversation with something that's real, with a being that's real. That's number one. And I don't know how obvious that is because you're, you're, you're davening with a book Doubling with a minion is particularly nasty at destroying the, the power of prayer because you're so freaked out. You've got to get 8.30 we start, 9.04 we finish. You've got to turn those pages with everybody else, otherwise you get behind. And you've just got to, like, doubling becomes, if I get from page 1 to page 27, I've done a good job. And if I had to skip a bit in the middle, then maybe I, I wasn't. And it creates this neurosis, this panic. And perhaps sometimes it takes away from the fact that we are actually... Having a conversation with the only being that's actually real in this whole game of life. And it's not always easy to feel that or to recognize that. And then you feel perhaps that you're having a con- no one likes going, and in- sure, we've all been potentially into a, to a- call it a simcha, make it a positive example. You go to a simcha because you know that person, but you don't know anybody else in the room. And you're scanning the room. Who can I stand next to? Who can I talk with? And icebreakers are particular are things you have to learn. How do you have an icebreaker with a stranger? Oh, do you come here often? Uh, is this your local or whatever? Whatever you say, you no. Know, whatever jokes you use to break the ice to have that conversation. And sometimes when you're davening, you feel like you're, you need an icebreaker, because God's this character that is sort of out there but not entirely real, because he exists in the book, he exists in the stories, and we form we we formalize prayer. Sometimes, to an extent, that it doesn't become, it's not, a, it's not an expression of pouring out my heart or having, talking, getting real with life, but it becomes this very, this pantomime for some or this act for others, this thing we have to do because this is what's socially acceptable, but not necessarily something we feel comfortable doing. There was a raven in a New Shul in Renana many years ago that came from a yeshiva background, learned. And he wanted to teach the new community the laws of Tefillah, Hilchot Tefillah. Now he was talking to a bunch of Anglos who made Aliyah, who for them, shul was pretty much where you go to express your Jewish identity. So any suggestion that kids shouldn't be in the room, because the halacha says that a kid who can't sit still shouldn't be brought to shul because it's going to disturb the concentration, was not something they were prepared to tolerate. And that Shabbos afternoon there was quite an explosive conversation between the participants and the rabbi. He was coming from the law books. I mean, legally, he was absolutely right. Now, kids don't belong in shul, or They can't sit, and can't behave because they're going to disturb the decorum. But they were coming from the perspective, well, that's where you go to be Jewish. So why would you not bring kids? Because but he was like, your home is where you're Jewish. Your whole life is where you're. And you have this clash of ideologies and perspectives. So, my suggestion is number one, we've got to really understand that that conversation is real. We're not talking to ourselves. It's not an exercise in how quickly you can turn the page or how quickly your eyes can scan the words. You actually have to say the words out loud, not just scan them. I and mean, I often felt something like in a moment of craziness if you put a microphone by, by the Omads in weekday mornings, how many words would be picked up by the microphone? Actually, words that are said out loud. Tachlan for sure, no one says. <laughs> I, know that for a, I know that for a fact. There's someone that we know initial, doesn't matter who they are. I'm going to give it away by a hint. Who davens Nusach Sfad. And he says the Nusach Sfad Tachnun, which is shorter than Nusach Ashkenaz. And people still finish before him. Like, it's not, not possible. Literally. When I used to work, with, do, um, go on the radio for the BBC, they had, they had like, a thought for the BBC Manchester. Had to deliver a thought for the week on the Sunday morning program with Mike Shaft. And they told me, you've got two minutes, that's 180 words You have to whatever the time limit was. And they, get, they work out how many words you can say in a, in a per second. And the number of words per second times the m- number of minutes we spend on certain prayers, eh, it's, it's, it's not. I don't care how good your Aleph-based teacher was. Okay. <laughs> or how many years you spent learning aleph as we've heard previously. Um, you know, it's, sometimes it's not possible. And we need to sometimes just free ourselves from that time constraint and that pressure and just maybe... Realize that the conversation is, is, a, is a genuine one. There's an amazing book on prayer by Rabbi Tabor from Manchester, Mike Tabor's son. And in it, he, he quotes a mabit who says, uh, to paraphrase one line from the mabit on, on davening, he said, no, davening is not a cash machine. We, we often tend to think it's a cash machine. Put in my request, out comes the, the answer. And then if it doesn't work, maybe I put the pin number in wrong or I got the wrong card. And if I, if I just got the right details, then the answer, the, the cash would come out. That's not what davening is. Part of, his, part of the proof of that is that we're a bit weird. If you think about Shemoyin Esri, we're like, yeah, praise. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, gimme. Then thank you. Well, I'm, I haven't got anything yet. Why am I thanking you? Well, you know, it's a bit weird. And Rabbi Table gives a whole muscle of a guy that needs some help from a philanthropist. And he, he, he gets told no when he keeps coming back, keeps driving the guy crazy. And that's what we do. You know, we, we, we gimme, gimme, gimme in the morning, gimme, gimme, gimme in the afternoon, the same gimme in the evening. Thank you, but I haven't given you anything yet. Why are you driving God mad? And then Mabit explains fundamentally, and again, there are so many perspectives that we, you know, this is one of where you actually could spend the whole night discussing davening and you still wouldn't finish what you have to say. Mabit says that tefillah is to teach us that everything comes from Hashem. It's not the cash machine in, in our language. And that's where we say thank you. That's, that's where the modem comes in. We're not saying thank you for giving me all the things that I've just asked for. We're saying thank you for allowing me to understand that you are the source of everything, and without you, I can't do anything, and nothing, going to. I'll have nothing in my life. Rabbi Nachman, as a rebbe of, of, of a, a, his approach to chassidus or his approach in Abayis Hashem, was very much about tefillah. And one of his, his students, Rabbi Nos, and he, the, the students took his teachings and in this gorgeous sefer, his shtapchus hanefesh, says some beautiful things. The first quote, Rabbi Moore mentioned, from by Adam HaRish on davening, for the, he had to daven, then we go. So I'll give you the second one. This is what he says. And the point here is to demonstrate that when we're davening, in Kabbalistic language, I think we need to have mochin de I mean, you've got to open your mind and see yourself as not just you, the individual, but we, as the, we are the inheritors of a tradition. So that when we're governing, we're not just doing something that sort of gets me in touch with my individual identity. We are tapping in to a national identity. And if we're ever going to get out of this gollus, we need to stop thinking of ourselves as individuals and begin thinking of ourselves as a nation. Because we need to think bigger than individuals. Individuals you have in, in, in exile. I'm the individual Jew, there's the non Jew, there's the pirates beating me up, whatever. But for a nation, we need to come together and we need to tap in to the traditions and the power that our nation has demonstrated. A call, call yeah, 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 the call of the, the sound of Yaakov davening. So here he gets from Noach. It's a famous medrash. The chain eitzel Noach, the Zohar Chodosh says as follows To. When Noah comes out the taver comes out the ark, and he sees the world is destroyed, he begins to cry. And this really can be, it's not just Noah, this is a metaphor for all of us. Sometimes we wait till things are wrong and then we talk to God. It, it, I had a conversation with a kid last, whatever it was, before we broke up for sukkahs in school, learning about davening. So, you know, when do we daven? So the first answer was, in a shiva house. So I didn't know how... And he was the best one because other kids didn't have a clue. So, so, well done to the kids at the Shiva house. And Baruch Hashem, he's been to shiver houses and he's seen a prayer service. But he had no notion that you would thank Daven to say thank you to God or to celebrate. And that, that's where we're at. You know? And those that are here and those that know have an obligation, as Rav Cook says, it's the, obli- it's the duty of the doctor to give the medicine to the people who are sick, not the sick people to find the doctor. So I'm telling you, everyone sitting here now are the doctors. And we need to explain to the world outside that davening is not just for Shiva houses. So poor Noah comes out, sees the world destroyed. He says, Rebuines Sha'ilah, master of the world. Nikre's the rachum, you're called merciful. Well, this doesn't look like an act of mercy. You've destroyed the whole lot. You should have had mercy on everybody else. So Hashem says to him, you want sometimes where rabbis get their, their harsh language from? It predates the rabbis long ago, already right the mystics, the Zaachadash. Raya shatya, you foolish shepherd, you moron, in modern parlance. amris now you're telling me you're called rachum, yet only now you've worked out that I'm merciful? And not when I told you that you're the only righteous person, and therefore work it out, the world's going to be destroyed, because you're the only good guy, and everyone else is wicked. And I told you I'm going to destroy the world. Why did you not talk to me at an earlier point? And then Noach got them, it got the message. And then Avram Avinu. He begs Hashem. And this is one that I for me, one of the most beautiful teachings. The way Rabbi Sachs explains it. That Judaism is the, is the religion of protest. That Avram stands there in protest against Hashem destroying Sodom and Amora and goes to Davan for people who are not like him. And that famous introduction of the Nitziv, that Dafka that they were called Yeshar and they were called Elich, straight people. Because they cared about people who were not like them. The fact that we haven't read the introduction of the Netziv to, to Bereshis, study it. You can get it online as well in translation. If you can't understand the original, it's a powerful one. And he's davening and he's negotiating. And then Yitzchok goes la suach basada to go and daven in the field. And Yaakov and he goes through the whole introduction here, demonstrating to us that this is the way we do things, and not to be out, not to be outdone. As Rabbi Moore said, and this is where he took some of my ideas as well. Also, the Imah is the the, the, the mothers were well, Soriyev, Korachah, Beleah, Davening. We have Rosh Hashanah, Chana, Davening, so Paul's that, you know, the Gemara learned, the whole Chana story, Davening for a kid, is, is, the, is the, the, the source for where we, where we get taught how to Daven, the, the, how we Daven our regular us. So we need to understand that Davening is part of our national identity. It's not something just that the frummers do, or that you do just in a shiva house. We need to reclaim davening as something that's an expression of what it is to be Jewish. What it is, what it is to be Jewish, not just to eat kosher or to have Shabbos. Jews doven. And how do we daven? We daven. In good times, we daven. In bad times, we daven for people who are like us. We daven for people who are not like us, that they should be spared, that Hashem should have mercy on the world. But what when it goes wrong? I do I mean by goes wrong. Don't get depressed. Because the reality is, when you're asking for something and it doesn't come through, you begin to get a bit frustrated. As we heard before, it's not always easy to daven. Sometimes you can be in a situation where you really want to, and you think, well, logically, you've learned somewhere or other intellectually, I should be davening now. But I can't daven because I'm in a really bad place. It says, Rabbi Nachman, just say something. Don't worry about the page-turning davening. Don't worry about getting through everything in the, on, in the text that we have to say, that you would say when things are normal. Just say, Rebun and Master of the World. Just say, oh, just groan. I know there's a possekin to heal him. My, my, kvetch, my groan isn't hidden from you. Meaning when, when you do something wrong, we don't even enjoy ourselves because sometimes you feel like, oh, should, I've let myself down. Even that speaks volumes to Hashem. A sigh can express sometimes what the spoken word can't capture in words. A sigh, a shrug of the shoulders, can also be, maybe that's pashat. But I need to fill her. He became, as the Rav said before, his whole personality was infused with, I am a prayer. Or we say for enishmas. All my bones will say, Hashem who is like you. Yeah, the shrug of the shoulders, the sigh, the, the tilt of the head. All of those are not just physical actions, but maybe that is part of davening. When we can't daven with words, when that's not working for us, then a physical action can express something like perhaps our words, our words struggle to. So we need to normalize davening. Originally, before the books were printed, before the text came about, everyone just spoke what was on their heart, and then we know that the men of the Great assembly, came along, and they established our fixed press. Because it was difficult. We've all had conversations where you walk away thinking, should have said that. should have said it that way. Or, for me, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I do that? Okay, you tick the box. What I don't know what applies to me. You can work out which one of those wife's nodding. She knows that. See, that was a moment of truth. So we know that we need a fixed text because it's complicated. Ach al kaoponim Medina, zero zer filler Gam-Keyn this is now, becomes what we have to do. But we shouldn't think that the previous version, that, sponta- that spontaneous prayer, has lost its efficacy, lost its power, or lost its place. And that's part of normalising a relationship with Hashem. So, yes, it's difficult to build that relationship. And without that, I think, you know, why people come to shul in some shuls and talk is because they, they know that the person next to them is real. They don't know that Hashem is real. And you you look like a lunatic talking to yourself. So if you're not convinced that God is real, you're never gonna talk to him. And so how do we make God real? We have to learn to talk to God and make God a character in our lives, not just three times a day in the formal sense of prayer, but throughout our lives. And Rabbi Nachman teaches us that we mustn't give up. And I'm gonna end with this teaching. I've got loads here, but we'll just end with this. The gates of prayer are never locked. Some prayers are answered after 40 days. Who did we learn that from? Moshe He davened 40 days for the Jews to be forgiven after the golden calf. And some are answered after 20 days. We learned that from Doniel. Until the three weeks had passed. And then he said, Hashem is heard. Yesh tefillah is answered after three days. We just heard that Yom Kippur, the tefillah of Yonah, that answered after three days. The yesh tefillah Yom and some prayers are answered after a day, from Eliyahu El- El- Hanavi. And sometimes, the yesh tefillah, yitzpal al- m- 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 hunana, and sometimes, I would say on a fast day, Before you've said it, God's already answered it. That pasuk we add in on a fast day. Before they've called out, God's going to answer. So don't give up. It can be a process. And we have to recognise that prayer and a relationship with Hashem is something that develops throughout our life. And the challenge we have, I think, is that some of the things that we learn to do when we're kids, we tend to pigeonhole in our mind as childish or easy things to accomplish. We learn to daven when we're children, so it should be easy because kids do it. But kids do it on a certain level, and as we grow and as we mature and as we understand Hashem differently, then we should recognize that we have the power to pray spontaneously, the power to to sigh, to recognize that davening is about recognizing that Hashem is the address, and we should daven that our, that our learning tonight, all the things we've learned, so definitely Rabbi Nachman teaching, that we should doven that the Torah we learned tonight shouldn't just remain in the abstract in the world of theory, we should all merit to be able to practice all the lofty teachings tonight. Have a good kvittel, a good yontel. Thank you very much.